0: This podcast is brought to you by Central, helping schools work smart.
1: Yeah, I would say, okay, individual students following their passion, following their strength might have to take over the old paradigm. Instead of planning for everybody, you support everybody.
0: That's Professor Yong Zhao imagining an educational future with a radical new paradigm. Yong is my guest today on Central Station. Hello, I'm Colin Klupik. Yong Zhao is a Federation distinguished professor in the School of Education at the University of Kansas and a professor in educational leadership at the Melbourne Graduate School of Education. He's published many books, articles and papers, and is quite outspoken on ways to avoid looking to the past and instead looking to the future for ways to improve education. Yong joined me on the podcast in July 2021 and it's great to have him back on the show in the lead up to the 2022 Sydney Morning Herald School Summit where he'll be giving a keynote address. Yong's theme this year, learners without borders, new conditions of learning and teaching. I caught up with Yong before the summit to dive into some of the ideas he'll be presenting on Like last time, Yong brings inspirational thinking to the challenges facing education and he does so with passion and good humour. Given that we've all had to become a lot more comfortable about staying within our borders during the last two years, I started by asking just exactly which borders was he talking about when it comes to education and how far do they extend? Professor, it's great to have you back on the show. It's been about six or seven months and I really enjoyed our last conversation. In many ways, it feels like we're just picking up from where we left off. And uh, despite the fact that the pandemic continues to rage on, in some ways, things have changed and in some ways they haven't. But the topic of your upcoming keynote for the School Summit is learners without borders. Now, you talk about liberation from the borders. Now, I think that's something that resonates with all of us some months ago we were all trapped in our own borders, in our own suburbs, some people even in their own homes. But which borders are you talking about exactly, and how far do they extend?
1: Well, it's great to be back, Colin. It's good to see you and uh the w- when I was writing about borders, I was really thinking about um different set of borders you know of course w- we have the most natural way to think about it is. National borders, state borders, you know, basically uh, geographical boundaries, political boundaries. And, uh, but there's also other borders. For example, um, I view schools create borders for you to think you have to go through year one, year two, year three. You have to, th- that's a well aligned borders. We also have borders of uh, the classroom. You know, imagine once you walk into the classroom, the teacher owns the classroom, and the <laughs> students. No matter what you do, you are within that border. And the, the interesting part is that is we accept these borders as they actually define something. You know, even think about national borders. Really, I'm a person who is really having a hard time understanding how you define yourself. You know, as part of a large human being, human society, but at the same time, I'm Australian. You know, I'm a you know new, new South Wales kind of kind of person. So, what I was hoping in the talk, which was based on my book called "Learners Without Borders and New Pathways for Learning Success," is we can we reimagine ourselves as really independent, rational thinkers who will confront the future problems that are facing humanity
0: yeah well that's a really that's a very large question to ask in the concept or in the context of the borders that you were just talking about as you say when a student walks into a classroom that's the border and in fact teachers are taught once the students are in that border you're not allowed to leave <laughs> until, well, that, the, that, until the bill exactly, goes right.
1: that, that, that's exactly <laughs> the problem it's like you know You know, we treat learning as a job, but learning is really a passion. You know, like when we organize a meeting, we walk into a room, we have a job to do, which is fine. But then students actually, every time, you know, they're in school, their age, we're trying to help them to become learners to who will eventually go beyond their classroom borders, but yet we confine them, right? You Mm -hmm. know, once they walk in, we got this rule, that rule. And also what's interesting Also, we make sure you learn what I teach you. So we make sure <laughs> what you learn, what I teach you. And then we always say this is we're creating an opportunity for you. But are we really creating opportunities for learners, for these learners? Or are we really confining them yeah. so they don't go look for something else?
0: So, it's almost like it's a, a mean form of torture where we say, Come into this room where I'm going to tell you to think about what's outside of this room and ask you to wish that you were there instead of being in here.
1: Exactly, right? I mean, r- <laughs> right now, for example, technically, uh, everybody can watch a YouTube to, to see a museum. Technically, you can visit a lot of museums, you can visit a lot of people online, different things but now we got a textbook and I'm going to read to you and I'm going to explain what this might be. So this is actually a very interesting. You know, what I'm trying to do is to say, can we really question what we have accepted? And, you know, you know, I used to say this, every human being is constrained by their own imagination. You know, a lot of times we, we once we accept this, we don't question ourselves.
0: Mm. So it seems like the border that we've created for students is actually very tight. I mean, as soon as they go to school, the borders really, really tend to shrink very quickly, don't they?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. We will create very tight borders. And, in, and the, the, the funny thing is that adults somehow think that's a good thing. And if you look at our your education system or our education system, whichever education system is, What we want is a clear expectation of our children. Remember, we want to say, okay, at the end of this year, you will learn this, you will pass this, as if we're doing a little addition game. So if you've gone through this room to another room to another room, after 12 years, boom, you'll be successful. (laughs) I I don't know how we define that, but we have created this border. So you cross this pathway, these channels. You know, imagine how many students we have and then how many tiny borders we have, and everybody has to go through that. If you violate that, then you place another border to form remediation. Yeah.
0: Now, now Young, I'd like to come back to that idea of why the adults think or the, why the adults think that they have all the good ideas uh, a little bit later on in the discussion. But first of all, I want to come to this issue of things being new because what you're suggesting is a new thing. And I can I can almost hear people getting exhausted by just hearing the word new. Because in education, everything always has to be new and there are constantly new things coming out. Is is that a problem or is it an opportunity or is it both? And if it's both, how do we deal with that?
1: Well, that's a fabulous question. First of all, there are too many new things coming up in education. You're absolutely right. We have this reform fatigue, this innovation fatigue. If you ask teachers... God, every day they, are, <laughs> they have been taught something new, uh, new innovation, new approaches all those kind of things. But the, the, the issue is this, a lot of the new things are not necessarily new or the tiny new things. For example, a teacher said, well, should you be writing on the chalkboard, you know, in the beginning of the lesson or at the end of the lesson? You know, should you be talking to them? So there's a lot of tiny tweaks you know, the biggest problem of these new things is they are still tweaking within the existing system. Yeah. You know, you, you're tweaking with the existing system. There's really nothing new in that regard. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of people research, oh, I've conducted this, we have teaching math and the kids can learn slightly better, maybe, I don't know, a, a lesson faster than last year. But then the question should be, should they be forced to learn that anyway? maybe we shouldn't even learn that way so when we think about new it's what is new what is not new what i'm talking about may not actually be new at all if you look before schooling you know when when people before schooling there were a few people who were learning they had the resources they hang out with some teachers or maybe not teachers they read books they were doing free exploration but they had to have a lot of access to materials, you know. So, so but, but once we have schools, then we're learning to tweak the school. Really, we're just tweaking, should the class be 20 students or 25? We debate <laughs> that, right? Should we be teaching algebra two at year eight or year seven? You know, just we're debating with tiny things. So, you know. you know, like in Australia, you know, Naplan, for example, it's been going on for over 10 years. There's no improvement why did you force kids to be tested What what's the point you yeah. know so, so there's a lot of those things is that we need to really about what education is about rather than what schools are about
0: so do you think that this relates to that uh that logic of the a consciousness that tries to solve a problem cannot be the same consciousness that caused the problem so you have to be outside of the problem
1: that, that's probably true. You, you know, in, in my mind, uh, you know, when you think about education is that we, we, we have this really strong view. Again, I want to emphasize this. You may want to talk about this later is as adults, we know the future. So therefore we create all these pathways and parents, parents follow that very well. And they, they you know, like if, if, if your child is watching TV and you get very nervous. God, what are you doing? I, I got to, you know, you get, so you get nervous. You're not in my, you are not in my trap anymore. Then you get, but, and so, so there's, I was actually just writing something. So, a, so if your child comes home to tell you, hey, dad, I just failed my math test, but I just get, you know, I won an award for this national competition of robotics. How do you like that? God, said, golly, you know, you should be doing your math. You know, why are you playing with the robotics? Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, the same thing with, you know, oh, yeah, I got it. My, you know, a lot of children said, my YouTube channel has over 70,000 subscribers. That should be celebrated. But no, it's said, no, 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 you don't do that. Yeah. We got to finish your literacy. Then you may have time to do that You know, after <laughs> you finish this. But this really is wrong, right? You know, but but we, we try to follow that.
0: Well here's here's another take on uh, on the remote learning border, if I can put it that way. I'd be interested to hear your your uh, reaction to this. Last year, I had a guest on the podcast who was a teacher at a large school. and when they went into lockdown uh, and went to remote learning, they discovered after some time that there was a cohort within the school that actually massively improved by just being at home and just being allowed to get on with the job of doing whatever it is that they had to do for school. That really surprised them. Does it surprise you? No, no. I mean, just first of all, it never surprised me. First of all, you
1: imagine how many kids, how many children are tired of these borders? How many are already disengaged? How many of them are bullied in the playground? And how many of them get the free opportunity to learn something they want to learn, you know, because all their time has been divided into the small blocks mm. in, in schools. And, and uh, you know, I, I wouldn't believe, you know, there's actually research showing that you've got about 30, 40% of children who absolutely love to do this remote learning online because they, you know, they got freedom. They do not get bullied by other children and they're not bullied by some teachers who don't like them. And they are not confined by those borders. So they are able to exercise more autonomy, exercise more self-determination, so they can try more things.
0: So what factors blind us to the fact that that's going on? Is it just because we ourselves are trapped within our borders and we like them?
1: Oh, yeah. We love our borders. You know, <laughs> you know actually, if you look at the education system from the your education ministers to your secretaries of education, everybody is trying to maintain a perfect system, right? I mean, we design the curriculum so everybody knows what they should learn at what age. We design the school system and we design schools, schools within grades, grades with classes. So we want them to run smoothly and we plan everything for our children. Even though, you know, we say, okay, you know, it's age-based, even the age-based is wrong, right? You know, you imagine you're five-year-old, but really, are you born in September 1 of 2020 or August 31st in, you know, uh, 2019? That's 365 days of difference, but we treat them the same. As if, you know, you you are born, let's say, August 31st, you know, you, you belong to this cohort, But then those the next day belong to next year. You know they are much closer. But we said no, no, no. You you belong to another box. You know. So but we we love those things because we feel like if teachers are delivering the content, if students are learning the content, if they pass the exam, that's a good system. Without really questioning, are children engaged? Are they happy? Do they have they? been exploring their capacities you know are they developing uniqueness we didn't really think about that we want to say a good education system is one everybody obeys the voters (laughs) it's like a prison I mean really it's like a prison right I'm just you know what's a great prison a prison you go you walk into a prison everything is ready for you (laughs) you just cannot do much right
0: so I can hear some people saying, mm, "Well, this is a bit utopian." Others are perhaps getting a little bit hot under the collar. Oh, it's getting a little hot in here. Well, let's step it up a little bit. You talk about removing education paradigms through a couple of different methods, which we'll talk about shortly. But um, well, let's let's ask that question: Which paradigms would you like to see go? What's the what's the hit list?
1: What. Let's think about paradigm as a whole thing. Paradigm is really the philosophy, the structure, you know, the content, the different elements. If you look at right now, we have one main paradigm that's dominant our schools. First of all, this paradigm says this. We have decided what will make you successful in the future. So we call that get our children ready for the future. So that's what I call preparation paradigm. So that, that is, okay, so I have planned math, reading, literacy, or whatever it is. And we have sliced them into different years. You finish all these years, you'll be successful. So we take that and pass on to schools. We pressure school principals. to so you make sure every teacher teaches this way. You make sure all students listen to them and you make sure they pass the exam. If you go to a lot of schools, well, wherever you are, you are Newcastle. If you go a lot of schools, they have that, you know, just basically learning objectives, week one, week two, week three. So That's <laughs> a one paradigm, you know, <laughs> we, we basically, that's a paradigm we want to deliver most efficiently, you know. And then there's another paradigm, which is you look at every child. What can they be? What would they become? without questioning, you know, oh, I'm gonna, you're gonna become a medical doctor, you're gonna become a lawyer. We, we instead, we'll look at every child to say who they are, what they can be. And then you look at the learning possibilities that has been expanded by online learning, by technology. Yeah, I would say, okay, individual students following their passion, following their strength might have to take over the old paradigm. Instead of planning for everybody, you support everybody.
0: Well, that means that uh, some, I guess some people might be thinking then, well, hold on a second. That means I'm going to have to do a whole heap of new planning. I mean, I'm going to have to completely reinvent how I do my job. I'm tired enough as it is. Now you're asking me to completely upend my job and do it differently. What would you say to the people who would respond to you like that?
1: The the reason I'm saying this is is that uh, education systems that put us through this Actually, we're doing a lot of busy work, empty work, useless work. How many teachers you know can you know uh, feel like every day they're too busy? They're trying to cover everything. They're trying to report to bureaucracies. I gotta do this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, the document. And that's very tiring. That's very hard. That may not have too much to do with the teachers either. Mm. The teachers, if we treat teachers as human educators not teaching machines. If we treat them as people, people love relationships. People (laughs) love to help other people to grow. And that may change dramatically. They may not be as tired. Instead, this work Mm -hmm. becomes actually an invigorating, creative process of you working with others. And then you're not responsible for children's learning You are responsible for supporting them. Each student is responsible for their own learning. And of course, this is dramatically changing how you organize schools, how you organize students.
0: It's interesting that you talk about that fatigue issue because uh, it's often reported. In fact, a friend of mine uh, texted me an article from the Age newspaper just yesterday, which was saying that teachers are already starting to feel burnout. They're already starting to feel tired because of the rework that's had to happen with COVID, and I, and I wonder whether that's just because people are having to think about reworking that thing that was originally just busy work, which would be probably even harder than doing the busy work. So I wonder then, should we then look at COVID and say, well, this is not a reason for me to just be more busy, but is this my once in a generation chance to th- really throw out that paradigm and start again?
1: I think you're absolutely right is that we do really a lot of busy work. I mean, I, you know, I'm almost 60. I've been doing, I've been watching a lot of people doing busy work. I, I try not to do it, you know, <laughs> basically I just, I, I really, you know, I've been teaching for about 35 years. I always say, you know, we got a question. Does it make sense to do it this way? I mean, like, you know, if you're only busy teaching without caring about learning, why, why do you teach? you know a lot of times I think we teachers are forced to teach to, and then a lot of teachers forced to do to correct student homework they're useless a lot of the homework <laughs> you know you, you correct everybody and the students don't even look at it you give them a grade you give them a at some points and then you're done with it. so why would you do that you know so why would you ask students to do something meaningful then come to you give them feedback you talk about that you know? so so this is a great time to change and to think about what education is about.
0: Mm.
1: And not trying to say, okay, because I'm asked to, I'm required to do this. I mean, I know some schools, they will require teachers to develop your teaching plans, have teaching plans to be evaluated, to be reviewed. So why, why do you do that? It's a natural human process of thinking, like you and I talking, it's much more interesting than if you had a plan or I had a plan to lecture, <laughs> young you, or you act, act I feel this is a great conversation which may have some meaning for other people.
0: Yes, young something I like to often share with students is that uh, I say to them, Look, let's not use the word get on with your work or let's not talk about your homework because normally work is associated with pay, and I don't see any of you students being paid to be here or paid to do what you do at home, so let's just talk about things that we need to learn about and things that you'd like to learn about. Could that be a way to uh, start to change the narrative?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think the, 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 the beginning of this is really to have that conversation. It, that is to, you, first of all, you need to really help everybody to recognize they are learners and they have the right to decide, to determine and in violation their own actions. I think schools have deprived children of that. When they come to school, we give them, we tell them, we impose on them, rather than trying to say, really? What would you be interested in doing? And we start, start there and you can expand. But now we're so busy, you know, once mm. we confine these borders to say, everything we have to reference back. Like, you know, when I was visiting Australian schools, everybody has reference back, what's the state curriculum? You know, what's the Australian curriculum? They have to comply with that. So why? You know, who made this <laughs> curriculum? You know, like, like you know, wh- why do you think that they have, you have to be complacent? Who has proven this curriculum will, will make you successful in the future?
0: <laughs> well, let me take this up another level again and talk about a very tricky subject here, the universities. Is there room to create new paradigms? in teacher education at university level or is that just too tricky
1: oh yeah I, I think i think university definitely can they should universities should lead the change in future teachers and but the problem is this in, like you know in, in our, our teachers for example when we are training them many of the new teachers are not exposed to a new paradigm but instead we teach them what our schools are like today, yeah. what you should do. We teach them to become more familiar with the schools so they can go out there to perform. We're not training them to become revolutionaries to say, <laughs> yeah, you know, just think about children this way and then you can go change. Do, 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 so that, that's the, the, the challenge at least at least schools can do is to expose them to some new possibilities for teachers to say new ways of learning and new ways of teaching.
0: So this relates back to a question that I had for you at the beginning or something that you started to talk about at the beginning of this conversation, and that was that we adults think that we've got it sorted out and we think that because we're older and we can look back, we know what works best. And you could be forgiven for thinking then that it's only us adults who might think things need to change, but do you have any experience with the student voice? Like, are you getting this message from the students as well? Like, do, do the students say... I like not this system, bring me another system.
1: <laughs> well, I, I have to say this. I have seen some students change, but I wouldn't believe all students want change. I said the majority of students don't want change because they're used to this one. You, you know, once you're in the border, if you don't think too much, unless you are extremely creative, extremely curious, extremely, you know, entrepreneurial doing something, In every school, you'll find a few students who always break away or other and every other school, you'll see some students who are kind of, you know, wants to drop out. But the majority of the students, once you are in a border, you're comfortable. Yeah. You know, you know, if you, you, you feel good, you know, you, you can say, basically, I finished your homework, I did your work, and then I can go do my thing. So, so they, they basically treat school as something they have to deal with. And then they can forget about it, go to something else outside. So, so a, a lot of students, you know, once they reach after they're in school for three or four years, they get used to it. Mm. You, you know, the, it, it is actually comfortable not to change let's not forget it is comfortable not to change especially once you lose the interest in changing
0: if i could put it in sci-fi terms it would be like school that's permanently in the matrix it's programmed and you just you're just comfortable there because the matrix does its thing and you don't want to break the rules
1: and imagine how many people are like that (laughs) actually you 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 look at the the brave new world you look at a lot of this in the societies you know what, why certain societies have people who follow a few dictators I mean really like why why do they do it because they they have become comfortable, they have forgot the imagination is I can do something different
0: well, this might be an obvious question then, but I'll ask it anyway, should the student voice be stronger? should we be prodding them and saying, "Hey, you need to speak up because we always we always talk about um students being critical thinkers and analytical thinkers. And I read in a book uh, written by John Taylor Gatto on uh, uh, weapons of uh, called Weapons of Mass Instruction, where he tells the story about uh, speaking to one of his colleagues saying, do you really want your students to be critical and analytical thinkers? What if they applied that skill to the stuff that you dish up to them every day? Are you sure you're going to be ready for that?
1: Well, I think you're absolutely right. It, it is. Uh, I think in many schools, we always say, I want our children to be creative, but not in my classroom. <laughs> you know, so that it's kind of, uh, you know, it's just, it's just great to have that. You know, we should have more student voice, and but I think it's beyond student voice. It's really student's agency, student rights as individual human beings to pursue their own learning. I think that's what we need is that, uh, you, you know, as adults, we, we, we have these borders, but... We need to have children to find ways to break the borders. Because you have to think this way, Colin. No education system is willing to undo the borders. Can you tell Australian that's in Akara to say, oh, let's get rid of the Australian <laughs> curriculum? You say, what the hell are we going to do now? You know? It's impossible. Or the, the, the minister of new, uh, uh, new South Wales, you say, let's get rid of the curriculum. You think they're going to do it? There's no way they're going to do it. <laughs> and now they, they, they want to, the system, they want to they want to further impose what they prescribed and by assessment. You know, not only we're going to make you learn this thing, we're going to assess you to make sure you learn. We're going to make your teacher's response for this learning. So yes, I don't think it's student voice. I really think it's individual right.
0: Well, Yoong, let me ask you this uh, one last question, and that's about the teachers. Teachers listening to this might be thinking, wow, this sounds great. Uh, it sounds interesting. Uh, some might be saying, again, oh, wow, wouldn't that be like a utopian school? I want to go there. But then they might say, well, hold on, I I do feel trapped in my border. I feel trapped in my institutional, uh, very traditional, rules-based school. And I might add, I rely upon that system for my job and my income. So um, maybe I don't want to be too crazy this is a bit too risky for me what would you say to them
1: well it's not much i can say to them you know because it's it it is true there are crazy schools there are crazy education systems and uh, i think you know there are little things teachers who feel they can do something different for example in, in your class let's say you have 25 students If you have really like three students who really, really are not engaged, who want to do something else in your class, I would say, why don't you ask them? And whatever they do, support them. Don't force them to listen to you. Or other things you can do. You can, you know, right in, in your school, you feel like you're teaching five hours a week. Can you leave one hour to be dominated by students? Or if you're requiring your students to read five novels, Maybe two they can pick. You know, there are small things you can do, the large things you can do. The overall idea is I really hope teachers become more human. You know, really human (laughs) educators. You know, you you have a lot more fun when you interact with students as human beings. And then you have a lot more sense of accomplishment when they become someone who follow that human spirit.
0: It could be that uh, dialogue, or the lost art of dialogue, could in fact be one of the most interesting and effective—if I can put it in air quotes—teaching strategies.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been to some of the best schools. You go there, teachers and students really having conversations. I've been to some of the worst schools. You go there, like they're two different camps. You know, the teachers, the students. (laughs) It was really strange, right? You know, just it's so. So the idea is that it's a human collection. We should have a good time right you know it's a you know, another another thing you know I just want to say this is that you know we we kept talking about how get how to get our children ready for the future remember twelve years is a long time in human life yeah that's the time they should be fun should be engaging should be learning should shape who they can become you know instead of trying to impose on them what I think you should learn
0: Well, young as it was last time. It's been a really inspirational and insightful conversation. It's been a lot of fun talking about these great creative and uh, uh, really, well, amazing ideas. So I just want to say thank you so much for your time and I wish you all the best for your presentation in the upcoming School Summit. I'm sure that your audience will get just as much out of it as I have today.
1: Thank you, Colin. You, you ask great questions and I love your connection with the reality, you know. And, and what I'm saying is not kind of utopian. It can be done, but I always, <laughs> always believe if you have the guts to do something, do the right thing.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. You've been listening to Central Station. If you're inspired by Yong's message and you think a friend or colleague would also be inspired, then please share this episode with them and consider attending the summit if you can. For more information about Yong and his publications, you can visit his website, zaolearning.com. And you'll find that link in the notes for this podcast. And for more great stories from educators around Australia and the world, make sure you subscribe to Central Station wherever you listen. This podcast is brought to you by Central. To find out more, visit the website central.com.au. I'm Colin Klupik. Thanks for listening.